They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Hello, Dubaders. We've got an absolute joy for you today. Um, this is one of the suggestions where I always say, suggest someone to get on the podcast and i think a lot of people assume that i never do listen to anyone but the mr mr ian dark the famous ian dark has uh has suggested rosie and said we need to get her on um and i read a little bit about her story there's so much to say actually so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give much of an intro because that is the story to come but she's she's in Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe. i've already said i want to get into that so if we don't even reach one of the several huge um incidents she's had in her life then apologies it's because of my intrigue but welcome to the podcast the wonderful rosie mitchell great to be here lovely to meet you i'm doing very well i really really well you know we're back in lockdown here so but anyway i've been out running in the game park today running through the zebras and you know can't complain. <laughs> and it's supposedly winter, but it's bright, sunny weather as soon as it's, you know, it's a little bit chilly now. But I mean, you know, by the middle of the day, it's like your summer. <laughs> so, so in your, in your, in your first sentence, in your first sentence already, I'm intrigued. You've run through the game park. Okay. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you were in, I thought you were in the capital. Is it? I am. Like, I am. We have a game park 3Ks from the house. I mean, aren't we lucky, really? It's it's wow. close to the city, but, you know, we're, we're sort of on the edge of the city here. So, you know, when I first discovered running, I, I just explored and I went far and wide and into the bush and into the hills and what have you. But there's also this game park. And at the moment, because we're on lockdown, I can't really range freely like I normally do. So uh, the game park is a good option because it's still open. Um, the rules are never very clear in Zimbabwe about lockdown. You know, they'll say we're on level four. And then you think, well, what does that mean? Where can I find a list of the rules? But there isn't one. So then you run the risk of getting arrested if you're running down the street with your mask around your chin, like a chin strap penguin, as one does, you know. So the game park is the answer for me, because given I'm training for a hundred miler, which may or may not happen, um, you've got to keep running. So the game park is pretty huge and it's just wild bush and there's a few dirt roads and lots of little game trails. So I just go running there and how, I take my how dog. Does that, how does that work though? Because uh, the, the, probably the, the closest thing we have in the UK is Richmond Park where there are, are gates that close at a certain <laughs> times. The closest thing we have to a game park is the closest park. thing. <laughs> and uh, you run in and there, there's, there's beer in there, but... They close everything at night, so you're not technically meant to go in. And um, and there's there's set paths. Like, couldn't is this when is this open at all hours? And then are there specific routes that you follow? Or it's open six to six. So so and it, you know it's ah oh, it's just wonderful actually. Yeah, we so we've got to be out at six. But um, there's dirt roads. There's a network of dirt roads, and then. The other little trails are all made by the, the game. So, you know, you just go into the forest, follow little tracks and follow little tracks across the plain. And there's nothing 
really dangerous in there. I mean, like all wildlife can be dangerous, but we've there's no lion, there's no elephant, there's no buffalo. Those are the ones you worry about in the game park. So it's fine. Apart from the fact that I like to run with dogs and I, I always have at least one with me when I run. I always have ever since I started. I just like the company, you know. So when I started running with a dog in the game park, having got permission as long as I kept her on a lead, I discovered that zebras don't like dogs and they chase us. Oh, my word. Oh, they chase us. I, I have to sprint away from zebras. I, that's quite something. So, I mean, first time it happened, I just I was kind of bemused. I thought, why are those zebras coming towards me at high speed? And I had the dog. So they thought, oh, they're getting a bit close. So I just turned and ran and they, they followed us. <laughs> so I have to, like, scan the planes for the zebras. I have to watch out for the zebras. They don't like dogs. If I'm without a dog, not a problem. If I'm on a bicycle, no problem. If I'm with a dog on foot, they will chase us right into the forest sometimes. So um, what do you I think just... they are, do, are they trying to protect their young or do they are they confusing the dog for like a honey badger or for like, <laughs> what, what do you think their motivation is? I think they I think it must be encoded. I think it must be evolutionary. I think that mm. they see dogs as predators because, you know, there are wild dogs still in Africa and in Zimbabwe, too. And there's also jackals and the blackback jackal can be quite predatory. And the, the side stripe tends to be more sort of catching like guinea fowl and things. The blackback will sometimes spring down a little antelope or something. But the wild dogs themselves, I mean, they hunt in a pack and they they can bring down a zebra. So, you know, I think they just see a dog and think predator, you know. <laughs> so, And sometimes the wildebeest chase me, too. I mean, at one stage I was chased by a herd of 30 wildebeest. I promise you, I was petrified. <laughs> so wow. I went and hid behind a log. I sort of ran every time I'd run and then I'd turn around and look at them and then they'd all stop because I'd stopped and then I'd run again and they'd run. I think it's the same thing, you know. So, mm. so I get my adrenaline rushes in the game park, you know. So. And, your, and, and your speed work done as well. And my speed work. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I mean, a dinner. And maybe, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, most mostly I just scan. I watch for them the whole time now because I know they do this. You know, it was a big discovery for me. I never never knew they did this. Because so, I'd never been in the game park with a dog, you know. So anyway, um, and how, quite, how big is you, you said? You said there that there's there's no what there's no dangerous animals in there like lions. And, <laughs> and how, how, like, forgive my How how do you know and how who stops them? <laughs> you mean the dangerous animals in the game park? Well, basically, the the bigger game parks that are far out of Ferrari, I mean, hundreds of k's away, where where they do have all those dangerous animals. Well, nobody's going to stop them, but you mostly drive in a car. You drive around the game park in a car, so um, you, yeah, you 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 don't go wandering. There are there's a couple of game parks where they allow you to walk, and then it's entirely mm. at your own risk, and you just have to have a clue what you're doing. <laughs> it's at your own risk. <laughs> So it is. So, I mean, you basically just you have to be very, very careful and you, you really have to be bush savvy and have probably have grown up here and know what's what, you know. So because, uh, yeah, being charged by a lion or an elephant or a buffalo. Yeah, I mean, that that could kill you, funnily enough. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and I mean, being charged by zebras through the little game park near my house is alarming enough. I mean, you know, they could kill my dog, I've been told. Mm. So. That are that they are I'm dangerous sure, to dogs. I'm sure, like a herd of zebra could quite easily kill a person because people die of oh, cows. They could in the kill UK, me too. So. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm very careful. I scan ahead, you know, the whole time I'm watching for a flick of stripes. (laughs) And if I see just a a mere hint of a zebra, I turn and sprint in the opposite direction these days. So, because I've got to get out of their way before they see us, because if they see us, they will come. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, all fun. And what's it what's it like living or you know, growing up in Zimbabwe? And because when was when was when did Zimbabwe change from Rhodesia? Was that? Um, nineteen eighty. Mm. Oh wow! So, so you yeah. lived right through. And I was I've been right through. I was born in nineteen sixty, so I'm very old, you know. <laughs> but I mean, look, my Garmin tells me my fitness age is twenty. That's good enough for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to take the compliments your watch gives you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Although actually, anyway. depending on the twenty-year-old, that could be quite insulting when you hear about teenage uh, obesity. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, um, oh yeah. So, what yeah. was it like growing up in Zimbabwe then? Well, very. It's always interesting. It's never dull. It's, it's always changing. It's look, you know, it, it's terrible things have happened here. And I mean, I I was mm. here through the whole war, um, and you know, it's completely bizarre growing up through a war. And it's when it's a civil war. And yeah, um, so it's tough and mm. horrible, awful and awful, awful things happened. And yeah, you you embrace all the good things. And it's where I grew up. So I grew up going into game parks, hiking all the time, exploring the bush, you know, encountering dangerous animals. <laughs> and, but uh, so it, I, I did. I did really enjoy growing up here. And my my um my assumption when suddenly you know when Mugabe said that take back the farms essentially and um my assumption was that if 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 I was a white person living in Zimbabwe I would have just left because of it it just it just seemed from the news over here that it it would be almost untenable to to continue in the country and that you'd you'd feel so at risk and um that anyone could turn you at any time and is is, is that kind of how you felt and, and and what made you how did you balance that why choice am I of still staying here? why am i still here yeah. I don't, yeah well you know what it's home <laughs> and you know, I, I mean i'm often very patriotic patriotic about zimbabwe and you know mm. which, yeah well i'll wear a flag on my shirt when i'm running a race quite often that kind of thing um because obviously it's not all being bad either and mm. you know it is home it is home so and look the farms that was all just awful and look lots of the farmers have gone lots and lots and lots of them some of them are still farming i mean they've just got the, the, the farms much smaller but they're still farming you know it was it was a very terrible time because it actually collapsed the economy because the economy mm. was riding on the back of commercial farmers you know so um yeah it's it's been it's very turbulent living in a country mm-hmm. like this it's very turbulent and it's very unpredictable and you have to get used to that unpredictability and you do we just have this expression here oh we just make a plan you know and making a plan is it's a thing we hear i mean every time there's a hurdle in your way you make a plan it's like and people are so resourceful and just mm. get on with it just get on with it you might not like the policies but you just get on with it and you mm. you find your way around the hurdles so, you know, 
Well, well, should we go back to how you first got into running then? Because it was a pretty, yeah. um, in, well, huge event in your life that, that brought you to it. It was. Yeah, I had a brain tumour, which, you know, shock horror. You know, not every day you get told you have a brain tumour. <laughs> so, I mean, and I had I've had all these terrible headaches. And I mean, I've got a very high tolerance of pain, I have to say. Mm. I mean, otherwise, you know, would I be an ultra runner? I mean, <laughs> you, mm. but you have to tolerate a lot of pain when you run crazy races. So but I so I just kind of yeah, I'd pop these painkillers and I'd kind of think, oh, it must be migraines because there was lots of migraines in my family. Lots of people had migraines. So how long, how long have you know, been having how long you've been having headaches for? <laughs> Probably I had them for years before I saw, you know, they just got steadily worse and more serious. And, you know, then they'd be throwing up and they'd be go to bed for a day and, you know, be in a darkened room. It was so awful, that kind of thing. Mm. And then I, but the, the symptoms were very similar to migraines. So, mm. so I mean, I, and I mean, even to the point where I'd seen doctors, you know, and said, well, I'm getting these headaches, but, you know, I'm sure it's nothing. And or I'm getting this funny earache that won't go away. In actual fact, the earache turned out to have been a symptom. But, you know, the mm. doctor looked at the ear, no, can't find anything wrong. So and then eventually I started losing my balance. So um, then and it, I was like just toppling over and my vision went really peculiar. So and I was getting like double vision and seeing funny patterns and all sorts of things. So eventually I finally did succumb to going to the doctor. And yeah, <laughs> at first, again, you know, the doctor said, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. No, these symptoms are very, very like migraines and what have you. But so I was sent to a specialist in the end. And he also said, no, I don't think it's anything, but we better send you for a brain scan. And the funny thing is, well, it's not that funny, but the way I discovered I had a brain tumor, nobody dared to tell me. So. The specialist pulled my x-ray out of its sleeve because when I went to get the results of these scans. And I mean, the radio, radiographer had said, when are you seeing your doctor? So I thought, that's an interesting question because they don't, they don't mm. tell you anything. And I said, oh, in about a week's time. She said, oh, OK. So he, pu he pulled out. I was lying on a bed. I'd just collapsed on the floor on the way to his room again. Pulls it out. He goes like this and he goes, this look of absolute horror. And he goes wow. bustling out of the room. And the next thing you know is I'm in an ambulance. So in the ambulance, um, the, we went round a corner a bit fast and all these papers flew off this um, paramedic's lap. So I kind of looked over on the floor and I saw this document. And at the bottom it said, diagnosis, brain tumor. And that's how I knew I had a brain tumor. So Wow. That's how, you know, I mean, look, I, his reaction was kind of fairly telling mm. in itself anyway. But um, that was it. And then even then, nobody was saying the word. Everyone was like, no, shame. We can't upset her. So nobody said a word. Nobody. Eventually, at nine o'clock at night, this surgeon came and he, he was very elderly. And he, he also pulled out these x-rays and he, he said, well, my dear, there's a bit of swelling in your brain. So I said, oh, really? Would you like to tell me what's causing it? <laughs> well, <laughs> my dear, there's a bit of a tumour. So that's how. <laughs> so I was, on the, I was on the operating table about 10 days later. So, And they took and it out. How old was, were you at that stage? I was 42. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, brain, you know, I was actually quite calm about the whole thing. It was fine. Mm. I was fine with the diagnosis and I was fine. 
I took it in quite calmly. It was quite weird. Everyone else around me went went very ballistic and very nervous and very worried. But I felt quite calm. I don't know. I just went into this state of calm about it. And I thought, well, did they give you I'll, did they give you a, a chance of things going well or going badly or they, that not they, done thing? It was hard to tell because the guy was not very communicative. Um, hmm. But he there's said, a theme, no, there's a theme you know, here, I said, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said to him, well, can you get it out? And he said, well, I think so. So I said, OK. And he said, well, you might need some chemotherapy and radiation and, you know, you might need some more treatments. And um, and later there was some report I read where he'd been surmising that it was a metastatic tumour. Um, and I read that and didn't know what it meant. I mean, that's how little I knew. Um, and I, I read it to my mum and I saw her just go pale, you know, because um, I she you know, oh, she says, you know, so but actually it wasn't a metastatic tumour. So and he did get it all out. Um, and but, and, you know, right up to having that surgery, I was just so calm and so fine. But I tell mm. you something, brain surgery ain't no picnic. Wow. Mm. You know, I had no idea what I was in for and how long it would take to recover because it really did take years to get back to normal. They did get the whole thing and I didn't actually have to have anything else after, but it having your brain dug around in, it does a lot. Mm. And, and the fatigue was just unbelievable and all kinds of things. I couldn't tolerate any noise. I couldn't socialize. Mm. I, I sort of lost, I lost myself. I really did and I mm. got very depressed. I just I couldn't live like I was used to living. I was used to being high energy, massively social, always on the go, always off doing stuff, being active, just a crazy person. And I just had to become this other person for a while, you know, and I oh, I didn't like it. So is, is, is the tumor, does it, how does the tumor work? Is it something that grows beside your brain and then fights for space in your skull? Or is it something that almost eats your brain? I think it depends what kind you have. So the one I had was just causing a massive amount of swelling. That's what all the headaches were about. And, and mm. the reason probably it had taken so long to diagnose was A, my tolerance of pain was high. B, I was taking an over-the-counter painkiller called Ponstan, methanamic acid which is an anti-inflammatory. Um, it's, it's actually just a painkiller as well. I took it because it was a painkiller, and of the painkillers, that seemed to hit these nasty headaches the best. Um, but as it happens, it is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. So it was bringing the swelling down a bit, and then the, the headaches would subside a bit, and then the swelling mm. would come up. But, I mean, by the time they found that tumor, the, the, my whole midline down the inside of my brain was just skew with. It was just – it was – the, the x-rays are quite shocking. <laughs> I mean, wow. if you know what they are, once they explain to you, the swelling was massive. That's why the operation was so complicated. Because, I mean, once he got in there, there was so much more swelling than he'd even taken in. So, you know, and they'd, they'd had me on these huge doses of, doses of cortisone to bring the swelling down, which in turn made me eat completely crazy. I mean, cortisone, if you're on high doses, just ugh, not nice. Um, but anyway, you know what? Came through the surgery and got very depressed and mm. I'd always been very, very fit, very physically active my whole life. So I got fit, physically fit quite quickly. I, I was about, I was bedridden for about three months. It was bad. But then I started walking. I walked my way back to health, you know, and I mean, gee, I was walking like 15 Ks within about a month. I really, I just mm. gunned it, you know, because I just wanted to, but, and I knew exercise was good for depression because I'd had depression before. It wasn't the first time. 
But um, but you know, it wasn't. And I was taken. I was put on antidepressants as well, which I'd also taken before. I was in therapy. You know, I was doing all the things, but I needed more. I just thought, no, this is not working. It's not enough. So this is when I went online, thinking, what else can I do for depression? So, and of course, running comes up all the time. You know, because mm. it's the strenuous exercise that seems to lift depression the best. You know, not not sure. Walking helps a lot. I think any exercise mm. helps, but I needed something stronger. You know, so I thought, fine, I'll try running. And I hadn't done running since I was in junior school. It didn't even cross my mind, to be honest. I didn't really think about it. I'd been a cyclist, a swimmer. I mean, I'd, I cycled everywhere for about 15 years before I started being self-employed. I'd cycle to and from work. I'd cycle to appointments meetings visiting people whatever so I, I just I loved moving anyway so so right let's give running a try you know and so I just went off into the bush for a long walk like I always did and I just started running and about what? two hours later I stopped <laughs> when what what do your doctors say at this point <laughs> I think I think the doctors had kind of lost interest at that point in I mean you know what the tumor was gone <laughs> The tumor was gone. I was physically fine, you know, I, but I mean, depression, uh, you're into another area than mental health and that. So, so I mean, um, the running thing I just entirely did for myself. Um, I just mm. gave it a bash and that two hour run, you can imagine I was quite stiff the next day because it was a new mm. exercise. <laughs> but, but I felt so great. I thought, gee, this is really exhilarating. I think I can do this. And I tell you, I have not stopped running since. I have run and run and run. And I mean, I just, I didn't even know how far I was running. I, for four years, I just explored the bush. I just ran and ran and ran, you know. And eventually, I worked out how far I was running. I took a GPS with me because everyone kept saying, but how far do you run? So I said, oh, well, I don't know. I, I go off for about four hours, I suppose. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I get to Tishwasha. That's, you know, a, a sort of what they call a communal land here. You know, and then I go up in the mountains there, and yeah, no, I don't know how far it is. So <laughs> eventually, I thought, well, I suppose I better find out. So I took a, I took a handheld GPS with me, and I came back and I'd run 20k. So I thought, 20k, but isn't that nearly a half marathon? <laughs> so because people kept saying to me, you should enter a race. Why don't you enter a race? Mm. No, I don't want to race. I'm not interested. No, I'm not very competitive. No. So of course, once you've run one. If you if you love running as much as I had come to love mm. it so quickly, then you then you get the bug for the racing, you know. So two oceans half marathon is the one I did. That you know, I mean the the ultra is very famous, but they also have a half. They also have mm. trail races, and I just thought running with twenty thousand other people was the bee's knees. It was just awesome. So yeah. And so, did that, and then it, did it change your your enjoyment of just going for a run? Not in the slightest. All it meant was that I entered races because there were races and there's running clubs and stuff. Mm. So, you know, and I got the bug for races. I thought they were so fun. I just loved the camaraderie thing. Yeah, you know, I just loved, mm. loved being out there with lots of other runners, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but I still trained in the bush all the time and I still do. I, I, I love bush running. I love trail running. That's my biggest love. But I also love the comrades and I also love the two oceans and those are road races. So, you know, and I just people kept saying, oh, no, you must do a marathon. And I would say, no, that's far too far. I can't do a marathon. And then, of course, I went to the 20 miler and I thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. I think I'll enter a marathon. 
And then, of course, the marathon. My first marathon was terrible. I really, I really messed it up big time. It was at Victoria Falls. It was so hot. And I think mm. I got very dehydrated and I got running tummy and diving into the bushes every five minutes. And I mean, I scarcely made it by cutoff. And I sort of said, oh, no, the marathon's awful. I'm never doing that again. And I mean, I entered another one within two weeks. I mean, you know how this story goes. <laughs> so, I, I have no idea how many marathons I've run now. It is so many. I've lost count. I've run so many half marathons. And, and then, then people were on my case about the Comrades and the Two Oceans Ultra. Yeah, no, you must do the Comrades. No, it's far too far. I can never run 90Ks. You know, and eventually there's bees in your head, you know, and you think, oh, I might as well give it a go. And I, I just think the Comrades is the most awesome race on the planet. I absolutely love it. With so yeah. much history and so much support, just half a million supporters, you know. And, I mean, the, the history of, you know, remembering the First World War heroes and all that stuff. And it's 100 years old now. And it's just the atmosphere. Uh, you, you can't, you cannot better that race, I don't think. It's so incredible. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like really annoyed that I've had to miss two years. Well, three, once because of a crocodile and twice because of COVID I've had to miss. But I did my virtual. You know, a virtual commerce is not quite so much fun. But <laughs> I, did my, I did my virtual this year. There was a running club that organized a virtual and they got police clearance. There was limited number. You know, we entered online with comrades and then we did it was like more like a race. So mm. that was really fun and, and very hot. Oh, oh, it was tough. <laughs> hey? And at about 70 Ks, I said to Sarah, who was supporting, of course, because she's so supportive of my running. I said to her, for God's sake, remind me about what I'm just about to tell you. Just remind me when I enter my next bloody ultra marathon or bloody hundred mile race. Please just remind me that this hurts like hell. I'm hating every minute at the moment. <laughs> I'm so hot and I'm so, I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to finish these last 20 Ks. Just remind me. Just tell me what I've told you. <laughs> and, of course, Write it down. I'm, I'm, I'm running 100 miler in September. What can I say? <laughs> you know? I mean, you don't learn. You just don't learn because you just forget the pain, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, you, you mentioned about how the, you know, a crocodile incident may have stopped one of your comrades. So um, yeah. talk us through. Talk us through that day. So you were kayaking, is that right? I was. I was. I had. We'd gone to a national park where we often go for Christmas. Um, mm. We had some very close elderly friends that had joined us, like they nearly always did. And we we I, look. I've been canoeing on Zimbabwe's rivers and dams my whole life. I've sailed. You know, I'd, the crocodiles attacking boats in the middle of a dam is not something you hear of. Mm. It's not normal. And I had never heard of anyone getting attacked in a boat, actually, when, when it happened to me. Um, after the fact, somebody said, oh, but didn't you hear about that woman who was fished out of a canoe on the Zambezi on a canoeing safari? Well, no, actually, I didn't. I'd never heard. And that, that was 10 years previously. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a known thing. It's not a normal thing. So, Do so you see them we, pretty much everywhere you go on rivers? Yeah, they're everywhere. They... They're everywhere. I mean, you can't ever assume a water source in Zimbabwe is crocodile free. It, mm. it, even a very small dam can still have a crocodile. There's even a little dam in the middle of a wetland, just two k's from where we live, where I mean, it's tiny and a crocodile pitched up there and lived there for five years, you know, because they travel across land. So you can't ever mm. assume they're not there. But attacking boats was not something 
in my knowledge or in anyone's mm. knowledge. So, so you know, we'd be we'd been canoeing on all the dams. I mean, there's several dams in that national park, and we'd so. And my elderly friend had said, "I please, can you will you take me for a canoe?" And we'd been down at another dam the previous night, and I'd said, "Yeah, sure." And then the approach to the water at that dam was really steep, and he he was ninety, and it was really just too hard because he, he was very bent over and um, got a lot mm. of arthritis and stuff. So I said, oh, I'll take you tomorrow instead. So, yeah, fateful blinking words because the tomorrow instead was another dam, a much bigger dam. And we'd just been having a lovely picnic. I'd, I'd of course, run all the way from camp. I'd run 20 k's through the bush to get there. I mean, because I, I, I'd just done the sky runs. I mean, I could not have been fitter. I was like peak, peak condition which was really lucky so because the sky run i'd done like two weeks before and mm. I, I was busy i was now training for my next race i was mean, always training for something so, so I'd, i mean i think i'd run about 80 k's in the last five days or something so i met i met them sort of nearly at the dam and then we went to the dam we were picnicking having a lovely time and then we were about to go back to the lodges and sorry i've just Okay, yeah. Um, there is just checking our sound is okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, I said I suddenly said, "Oh, wait a minute! Wasn't I going to take you canoeing?" And he said, "Oh yeah, let's just go out. Let's just go for like twenty minutes and just go out into the middle and enjoy the light and watch watch the birds, you know." So that that was that was what's that was the fateful decision, you know. Um, and and whether could you see kind of because that you're getting into a boat? Do you do you have are there a set of rules where you have to look around and see are the crocodiles near? Um, anything along yeah. those lines or you don't? Crocodiles will usually not appear when there's humans and noise and stuff. And I mean mm. you they usually don't appear at all actually. So. The one time when one of my dogs was nearly taken by a crocodile when I was out running and I, I took them for water, um, absolutely no crocodiles in sight. And the water was about this deep. And mm. suddenly my dog was being spun by a crocodile. And luckily it let go and we ran away. And it, it, I was at the outlet end of a dam and it was where it turned into a stream again. And I mean, I had I it was very hot and I'd run out of water for me and the dogs. So. I let the two of them go for a quick drink right and that dam had only been there three months mm. so i thought it'll be okay it'll be okay because i scanned like crazy the water was shallow but there was already a big crocodile in there so it must have come over land so and when i i ran away with the dogs my dog was okay she had bite wounds she survived about two cases away i saw a guy and i said did you know there's a huge crook in that dam already he said Actually, there are six. I've counted wow. six. So, you know, you just don't know. So, of course, there were crocodiles in that dam, and of course, we knew it, but mm. we didn't think there was a risk because I've done this how many mm. times? Countless times, you know. So, out we went, paddling along, having a lovely time, watching the light, beautiful afternoon light, you know. And we got, we, we sort of heading to, towards the other side, and then I saw some hippo. Now, hippo, you do worry about. You don't worry about crocs in a canoe, but you do worry about hippo because hippo will attack canoes. That's a known thing. And so I just said straight away, 
we've got to turn around those hippos up there. Um, it was okay. I mean, we were nowhere near them. Hippo don't like you and your boat being, say, between, say they're like near the shore and you're close by or whatever, or you come between them and where they're trying to get to or that they can be very dangerous. I know people who've been attacked by hippos and had terrible injuries. So, so we, we started paddling back and suddenly there's this massive impact on the canoe, like massive, like spun around, lost our oars. And I thought it was oh, a so, hippo. So you're, you're both in the same canoe, are you? Yeah, we're both in the same yeah. canoe. Okay. Yeah. So I just, and I mean, I, God, talk about getting a, a colossal fright. I mean, mm. <laughs> horrendous. So I thought it's, it's a hippo. And I, I mean, I immediately thought our life's at risk here, you know. And then this crocodile comes up and just grasps the edge of the canoe. So, I mean, it's completely not what I expected. And I just looked at that croc and I thought, my life's ending now. Because I just thought there is nothing I can do. Nothing. Mm. There's nothing we can do. Because they, they're predators. They see humans as food. Where they usually catch humans is when they're fishing by the shore. And lots mm. of fishermen get taken every year, actually. Um, you know, they're standing in the water or they're near the shore, you know, they're right by the shore or a lot of them actually just wade in. They take the risk. Uh, they're hungry, you know. So I stared this croc in the eyes. I mean, it's just like taking in this, the, the awfulness of the situation, like I'm going to die. And, and, and my friend, he, he accepted his fate. Actually, he just said, I don't think we're going to get out of this one. I'm going to pray. He was a very, he was a, had a great faith. So he started thanking God for his life. I mean, it was a beautiful prayer and it's comforted me a lot since what happened, you know, that he, he was calm and he just thanked God for his life. And he, he was talking about what a great life he'd had and all this kind of thing. So me, on the other hand, I just, this sudden survival thing kicked in and I just said out loud, I am not ready to die. I have got too much left to do. And I thought, what do I do? What can I do? So I, I remembered about sticking your fingers in the croc's eyes because they, they tell you that about sharks as well, I think. And I mean, something came to me. So I tried that because it was just gripping the boat right next to me. Stuck mm. my finger. It was a big croc. Stuck my fingers in its eyes. No reaction at all. I mean, I didn't even, they didn't even, they didn't even sink in at all. So then I thought, well, maybe if I can just prise its jaws off the boat, it'll go away, which is like, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but mm. if you're desperate, you'll try anything. So I tried to do that. Well, obviously, that's not going to work because they've got incredible bite force. Yeah, yeah. So, and then it started attacking me. That, that's when it, you know, that, it, this all happened in seconds. I mean, I can't even, there's lots of it I don't really remember because it was massively traumatic and you're, I think your brain just doesn't keep it all, you know? But, um, so it just, I had no idea they could leap out of the water like like it did. Because mm. um, it just started leaping out the water and just grabbing limbs and grabbing my chest. It ripped open my chest, ripped open my leg, had a huge hole in my leg. Um, it's amazing that I can still run, actually. But the leg healed amazingly well. Um, and then just grabbed my left hand. I'm left-handed. Grabbed my left hand. And I just heard the bones break. You know, it's just like mm. crushing. and. Then I don't even remember it swallowing my arm because it swallowed my arm up to about here. It just 
throw it down the, the beast's throat. And I don't remember that happening. What I do remember is somehow lying over the boat, kicking with my legs and pulling with my broken left hand and arm. My arm's down the crocodile's throat. Its eyes are here. And I'm looking in these eyes. John is kicking as well. And he's like paddling a bit as well. And we're trying to get to shore with me pulling this crocodile on my, my arm. Mm. So it, the most bizarre scenario you could possibly imagine. And I knew it was an hour's round trip to get help. And I knew Sarah would be collected enough to do that because she's a very calm person. Because I had screamed and screamed and screamed, get help, get help, crocodile attack, crocodile attack. And it was a long way. We were like nearly half a K out in the water. So even for her to hear what was happening, she could hear screaming because, of course, I was screaming. Ah, but anyway, she she heard she heard what was going on. She heard and I saw her drive away and I thought. I've got about an hour, maybe longer, because I knew how bad the road was. I knew she had to get National Parks Rangers to go and get their guns, to open the safe, to get the ammunition. I was I was, try I was computing, computing. So it's. We have we have this hour and the shore is really far away and I'm pulling a crocodile. It's like three meters long. So it just started swimming with me. <laughs> I could see the tail waving in the water. You know, I couldn't feel any pain. I felt no pain until much later. I mean, it, your brain just blocks it because you're fighting for survival. And do you think he's just waiting for you to die? Waiting to, to drown me by the shore. That's that I knew that because what I did know, I mean, I, A, I did not know crocodiles would ever attack a canoe in the middle of a dam because I mean, people always say, oh, they only attack in shallow water, you know. Well, obviously, that's not true. So, um, that croc wanted to get me to shore to drown me because then they drown you, then they'll quite often stack your body on a ledge on the edge of the shore and come back and eat you in bits and pieces or all other crocodiles join in. And of course, the second crocodile started following us. That was the other thing. I saw the second croc and I thought, oh, dear God, well, that's now we finished, you know, I mean, <laughs> but actually, it, well, it followed us the whole way. Um, very, very scarily close anyway. So so that's what the croc was thinking. I'm sure mm. get sure. So she, it can mm. get a meal, you know. Um, but in so, some ways, were you then thinking maybe I should stay here for longer till we get help or knowing that trying to get to shore was actually going to encourage your death, going to quicken your death? That was the big dilemma, you know, because I knew that was what would be going through the crop's mind because that's what they do. But, uh, but I also knew the only way that any, that crop was going to get be be off me was it someone with a gun mm. because what else are you going to do I, I mean how are you going to get get a crock off you uh without someone shooting it or something so it was like i got to get to shore so they can help me but once i'm at shore this croc's going to drown me so it was very tricky and we just kept moving to shore because i figured okay in about an hour if i'm lucky armed people will arrive and they might be able to help us and I might live. That That's kind of what went through my head. And otherwise, you know, the, the uh, otherwise, the only thoughts I remember having were, well, I'm going to lose this arm if I live, but I'll still be able to run. And I was thinking about the comrades and the two oceans and the, 
the Leadville Trail 100, which I entered the lottery for. And I actually thought, I visualized those races. You know, I, I actually had that thought. It's like, yeah, well, I can run with one arm. Because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I really wanted to live, you know. I really, really wanted yeah. to live. So, and was, was, I mean, John, was John kind of sat there in a really, I guess, really awkward position, just not unable to actually, help? But No, he was helping. He, he was actually also working to get us to shore. I mean, lying over the boat, kicking with his legs, pulling with his arm. He was really engaged in the survival as well. Mm. Um, I, you know, we don't, we weren't talking. I mean, you don't have a, you don't have a conversation when your life is on the line like that. But mm. I mean, but you know, he was also focusing on getting us to shore because he also knew, I mean, he didn't converse about it, but I think he also knew the only way mm. we could be helped is with a gun actually. Mm. So, um, so so there, there am I thinking, oh, well, I'll still be able to run, you know, <laughs> with one arm. And I think the time contracts when you're in that life. It, it, mm. Your life's hanging by this most fragile thread. And it's so unlikely you're going to live, but you just hold on to oh, – well, I held on to the hope. I did. Mm. I just I just held on to the hope that somehow I was going to get out of it. And – so when we, we got some rocks about 15 meters from shore, it was like a point of a bay, and that's the bay where we'd launched the boat. And we, we, we kind of almost landed the boat there a bit. So we, we, we were on, we had reached some land, right? And John's still alive. And he was, were you, sorry, were you preparing yourself at this point? Did you think like, as soon as we get to shore, this is going to change and all of a sudden I'm going to have to, yeah, I don't know. Like, what were you? What were you thinking at that point? At that point, I was thinking, "Where are the armed men?" <laughs> <laughs> because we got to these rocks, and you know, this was the this was the time that it was like life or death. If they're there or they're not there, mm. yeah. and blow me down. That bloody crop pulled me off and pulled me under and started drowning me. As I heard the shots firing, they were firing in the air. They had just arrived. Wow. So the timing is just unbelievable you know it was such a close call i was literally inhaling water i mean i i felt the crock pull me off and i thought my life is gone now i mean i i was conscious of that and i was there was nothing i could do this beast was just thrashing me and spinning me and i i i was inhaling water but those shots i could hear shots and i thought i might make it and blow me down it, it it spat out my arm the whole arm it spat it out and it was still attached i mean it was a bloody horrible mess but it was still attached to my body so and the, unbelievable because i figured well there's no way i'm keeping this arm i mean it's been down like a crocodile's throat it's mangled you know anyway had, had they so, hit the crocodile then to cause that? no not not else? at all no i think that the shots caused it fear and it thought I'm, I'm out of here it somehow must have messed with this crocodile's head that's the only thing i can think because they didn't shoot it. it it just swam away i mean i it was still in the water somewhere and i then had to swim with two broken arms like broken bones bones sticking out blood everywhere blood and i mean really swim to shore 15 meters and the guys, the rangers are there holding a stick over the water for me to grab. And 
I had to grasp a stick with a crushed hand and an arm with two two smashed bones and what have you. Um, but you know what? You'll do anything. And the whole time, that was the most terrifying thing because I was very mm. weak. And I mean, I was hardly conscious, quite honestly. And then there's the arms are somewhat dysfunctional. There's a blood pouring out your leg. There's mm. crocodiles in the water, including the one that had followed us. God knows how many more there. You know, it was absolutely terrible because I just was waiting to be grabbed again, you know. And then I got the stick and then they pulled me out the water. And, and my friend was on the rocks and they went round and got him. And they, they just laid me down. And I just I just lay down and I thought, I'm going to live. And then I felt the pain. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like <laughs> my brain had just blocked all the pain until I, that moment. And I, my goodness, boy, <laughs> unbelievable pain. I mean, my body was so wrecked. <laughs> so, and I mean, I, I discovered later, I mean, much later, there's lots of stuff people didn't tell me too much later, but I only had a third of my blood left. I mean, seriously. Um, and that, that's why I, I say running saved my life, along with all these other factors, like Sarah keeping her head and getting help there at the right moment, like at the exact moment when I was about to die. Because I mean, a lot of people would have just so panicked, they wouldn't have managed to pull that off. I mean, and it was seriously hard. She had to get the guys to go, she had to go find them. It was Christmas, half the people were on leave. You know, she had to get them to go open the safe. Where's the key for the safe? Where's the, the bullets? Where, you know, sign this out, all this stuff, you know. And she managed to pull all of that off and get other people to come to help and get go to the road and get cell signal and call ambulances so they were on their way. Because we were a long way from Bulawayo. Bulawayo is the nearest mm. town. We were a long way. Um, and she did all this stuff. She just got into that. Like I got into survival mode. She got into complete focus mode of how, what can I do to save them, if at all. I mean, driving away from the dam, she just thought, I'm not going to see either of them. There's going to be no boat and no people when I get back. Mm. And that was the most likely scenario, let's face it, you know. So... Yeah. So that, yeah, the pain came and then, yeah, there was a lot of pain for a very long time after that, you know, but uh, the relief oh, lying there on land and thinking, I'm going to live. I saw I could think I'm alive. I'm going to live. <laughs> so, how, how long then did you have to like lay up in hospital? I mean, like what, you know, what kind of operations did you need? Like what was the kind of, what was the damage when, when you, you finally yeah. got to hospital? plenty oh and by the way just before i go on to that just to say that uh, my friend died um of shock pretty much he was 90 he was very frail and he didn't make it i mean he made it all the way to shore and they carried him round from point and he was still alive still talking and everything but he died so uh, that that's the horrible part of the story really mm. um you know, I mean, that'll that will never leave any of us who were there. You know, his wife was on the shore. And mm. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's horrendous. So and I mean, look, for a long, long time, I blamed myself because it was me that made this fatal decision to go for a quick canoe on the dam, you know. So anyway, um, so and I mean, I've often comforted myself with the fact that he was so calm and he was. He was kind of accepting that he was unlikely to survive and thanking God for his life, you know, so, but yeah, that's, that's the tragic, horrible part of the story. So anyway, to, to answer your question about hospital, 
I was in hospital for a month. The first week, I didn't know it, but my they considered I was unlikely to make it because I had really? 66 crocodile bites, and crocodile teeth are full of bacteria, and mm. very bad bacteria, and 66 bites and all these compound fractures and bones sticking out and holes in my leg and an open chest, all this stuff. Um, my chances were not considered good remotely and they pumped me full of antibiotics and I was on oxygen and I was so weak and and I did not get blood for 10 hours because there was a mix-up and a drama and the blood bank refused to part with the blood without payment in the middle of the night. Well, it was actually three o'clock in the morning when they finally got oh, my wow. blood and this the, the whole thing happened sort of late afternoon and this This was a really shocking Zimbabwean scenario of give us the money before mm. you get the blood. And it, like mm. my life is hanging by a thread, you know, and they'd been a mix up in the emergency room because there was just there were two car accidents arrived. It was chaos. Um, the, the hospital were awesome. Absolutely awesome. I'm not, not faulting them, but they had a lot of really horrible injuries to deal with. And they had forgotten to type the blood of the people who needed blood transfusions. So. When my surgeon, who then took over my case, arrived, I don't know, two in the morning or something, he saw blood, vials of blood and said, oh, my God, you haven't typed this blood. <laughs> so and it was like, oh, and he said, this woman's in hypovolemic shock. You know, I mean, it was really, really, really bad. But um, they got my blood in time. I got the blood transfusion and then they couldn't operate it on me till I was stable, which was, I don't know, but the next morning. And having x-rays when you're, you're as broken as I was, oh, the screaming, the pain, uh, just mm. they had, they're trying to get these arms that are so mangled. So it was really, really horrendous, you know. Uh, but and ICU, oh, goodness me. The drugs they had me on, they, they dry up your mouth so much that you, you only sleep for 10 minutes at a time. And then your body wakes you with this idea that you're like about to die first, I think. I think that's my guess. So you're just calling for water the whole time. And that was one of the worst things about this whole getting better from a crocodile attack, the dry mouth. I mean, it sounds such a little thing, <laughs> but it's, it's torturous. It was the biggest torture in the ICU. That was the biggest torture of all, this dry mouth, because you just it's so dry. There's just nothing. So you just keep calling for water and calling for water and you, you nod off and you wake up and you. Please bring me water. And it's just awful. Anyway, so that that's one thing I will never forget about that first week is the dry mouth. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know. sure, there was. What say? One of the yeah. things that you said um, was, thank goodness you were at your peak when when this yeah. happened. So in, yeah. what way, in what way do you think being at your at your most physically fit is what helped you get through this? Yeah, <laughs> I think that there's a number of things. Um, first of all, being super, super fit means your circulatory system is really awesome, right? It's really, really efficient. So that meant my body could manage on very little blood because it, it's super efficient at the, the, everything. You know, you've got you've got more vascular. Well, the way, you've got more veins. I mean, you actually get mm, more veins when you're a, a runner. You do. You, you develop vascularization or something, don't they call mm. it? I mean, you actually just develop more capillaries than other people because of what you're doing all the time. And 
so I'm sure that helped, you know. Um, and, you know, my heart, very, very strong, lungs, very strong, circulation, very strong. Um, so plus the mental attitude of, yeah. you know, I just to run a ultra and you'd like, can I go on through this pain? Yes, I bloody will. <laughs> it's like you don't give up, right? <laughs> you, don't, you never give up. I mean, you only give up if they take you out of the race, which is the most awful thing, which is what happened to me at Leadville. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm not reaching a cutoff. And I mean, like, mm. or, you know, it's, that's, that's, that's only happened to me that one time. And it was so awful. And it was like this big triumphant return to racing after I'd recovered. And I was so devastated. But anyway, uh, but otherwise, do you ever give up? Of course you don't, really. I mean, the mental side of it so much, isn't it? So, so I think the mental side of it, that very strong mind that you get from ultra running. Look, I'm a very determined person anyway. I pretty much always was, but I, I think ultra running hones it to a whole other level, right? So, along with all the physical strength you get. So, I think I'm, I'm convinced. I mean, all the doctors said so as well. Everybody has treated me. All the physios, all the, I've had mm. so many people who helped me get better and put me back together. And they've all said, you'd never have survived if you weren't so fit, you know. You know that, uh, don't you? It, but has, <laughs> has, from a mental perspective, has it now worked the other way in the sense that, you know, you can go out and run an ultra now and just think, this is easy compared with tackling a crocodile. <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And, I know. <laughs> and, you're, and you're telling other runners while you're doing that as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. <it> just <laughs> Although I'll confess that what I was telling you earlier about my virtual comrades and getting to 70Ks and thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> this again, you know. I mean, I did go through a little patch there where I was thinking, why am I doing this to myself? Like we all do, you know. So even post-crocodile attack, you know, I sometimes have those thoughts. And I mean, I ran this crazy mountain race in Cape Town in May. And, oh, my goodness, that. It was so hard. <laughs> and I was just I was just thinking, why am I doing this? Why do I keep doing this? You know, I mean, and I came in. I was probably I was right near the back, you know. I, we left in the dark. We came back in the dark. And I was all alone most of the day. You know, I was the, the oldest lady runner by far. And I still suffered. <laughs> I did still suffer. And I, despite having survived a crocodile attack, I, I couldn't quite tell myself, no, this is nothing compared with fighting a crocodile. It was really tough. But I mean, you know what? I finished and I finished well inside the cutoff and I did it. So, you know, but I think, yeah, I I think my fitness and the, the mental attitude did help save my life. Definitely. And to get me through all the rehab, that's because what did rehab was, look like? Wow, there was a lot of rehab. <laughs> I mean, I was in hospital for a month. I had four operations in the hospital. They were all, you know, build me back together. And I had all these, I had metal fixators sticking out my arms for three months. So I couldn't use my arms or hands at all for anything. So I couldn't even go to the loo without assistance, which is quite hard, by the way, to go through three mm. months of having, not being able to bath yourself, not being able to feed yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, that is really hard. That, very, very hard. But, you know, you, I just dealt with it with humor. What else can you do? I just found the funny side of some of it, you know. But mostly I had that determination to just keep moving and walking. 
because I could walk. And I started walking in the hospital as soon as the surgeon said, uh, well, in fact, of course, I demanded or asked or whatever. Well, when can I get out of bed and walk, you know? <laughs> so, and he said, well, you could give it a go, but you're not allowed to walk unassisted. And, you know, because you might topple over and that'll be a disaster. And so from I was walking from day nine. And I mean, I had this big chunk out my leg, you know, but he did say that would heal because I mean, but one of the first questions in the ICU, will I be able to run? He said, actually, yes. Yeah, because the muscles heal really well. And that's a muscle injury. And yeah, it's a bad one, but it'll heal. And yes, you'll be able to run and it'll be fine. So I was very happy about that. Um, so I just walked and walked and walked because as soon as they I walked down the corridor, you know, I was demanding to be taken down the corridor at every opportunity. So I did all these corridor laps and what have you. And it was really hard. And then we came home a month later and just walked and walked and walked. Had nurses 24 seven because of, I was so helpless with these arms that couldn't be used. So made them walk me round around the garden. And then it was out into the neighborhood, scaring all the children with all my metal sticking out my arms because they, they, they just thought this was really quite horrifying. <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> and then when when those came out, eventually they came out in about four months later, three and a half months later. Then my arms were free and incredibly weak and incredibly stiff. But then I could walk in the bush. Then then I was out walking in the bush. And then, ah, oh, that was such a wonderful thing, you know. Uh, on all my old running routes, I just went walking. And I, I mean, I just I always invited people with me because normally I run alone or but obviously with these very weak arms, bad ideas. So, so I just invited various people and I would take them on these very long walks and what have you. So but the rehab was like to get my wrists and hands and arms strong and functional was just such hard work is just, you know, physio twice a week, occupational therapy twice a week, acupuncture, tried a bit of acupuncture. Um, I was doing swimming, um, like as therapy, if you like. Um, a friend who's a coach, he, he said, I'll, I'll coach you swimming to get you to try and build some strength back in that. So I did that. And I did, I, obviously I kept walking and I started running within six months, you know. <laughs> it wasn't, not much was going to stop me from getting back to running. So, but I had to be very careful of these arms and it was like always this fear of falling and re-breaking or whatever. Mm. Um, so the rehab, I was, the rehab went on for like probably two and a half years. I mean, I'm not long out of rehab. Obviously it wasn't as frequent, but it was all the risks. Because my arms and hands were immobilized for so long, they got unbelievably stiff. This happens. It's a thing. And you can see I'm gesticulating quite well, <laughs> but I am wearing gloves because the circulation's still not normal. Um, but this, the, the wrist extension, this movement, that it had gone completely. My hands, I couldn't bend my fingers at all at first. They were just stuck. I couldn't, my, this wrist was stuck like that. I couldn't even straighten it. And this one, this one rotation's more of a problem. So there were, there was a hell of a lot of work to do to try and get some movement back. And they're pretty good now. Um, you know, I can do pretty much everything. They don't feel normal. They feel really peculiar. I mean, I've got this sensation of a tight band around my, my wrists and they, they feel really weird, but they work. 
So I can use my computer, I can type, I can do my graphic design that I do, do my websites, what, what. I, I can do what I need to do. So I'm just very grateful. I mean, they may never be, they won't be. They're not going to be 100%, but they're good enough, you know. They're still there. <laughs> they're on my body. <laughs> so and lucky has, me. <laughs> has, has going through that experience in any way changed your behavior in, time, in terms of thinking, all right, I'm going to go kayaking again? Or, or, do you, or, or is it a case of not at all? Never again. <laughs> all right. <Yeah>. Never. <laughs> Never, ever. I tell you, once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> no, no, literally, you yeah. You won't catch me in a canoe, no, not for love nor money, ever again. <laughs> because, you know, now that I know that can happen, yes, it was a freak incident. It's very unusual. But, you know, about a month after my incident, a young woman was pulled out of a canoe above the Victoria Falls on the Zambezi on a canoeing safari with guides and everything and lost an arm she lost her arm i mean it's amazing she's alive as well mm. so you know it's seems like there's too many crocodiles and not enough prey in zimbabwe that that's the conclusion mm. we drew because there's been lots of animals poached you know hungry people are hungry and i think crocodiles are turning more to humans than they used to mm. that's my only the only thing i can conclude so yeah. Um, so, I mean, she amazingly survived as well, but she, unlike me, did not keep her arm gone. So, and she, she was like 20. It was really sad, horrible. It's amazing she lived though, mm. which is wonderful, but she was just about to get married as well. And I mean, she was, they were on a sort of pre-wedding holiday, you know, it was very, very awful. So, I mean, that was quite an eye opener as well. And yeah, so I, this is a very unusual thing and it happened twice in a month. And yeah, so you won't catch me on a canoe ever again. But I'll tell you what I did do. <laughs> the it was 2000 and, 2019, I think it was. The, in the eastern highlands of Zimbabwe, there are no crocodiles because the climate's wrong. I mean, it, this is 100% guaranteed. And there are dams up there. And they hold... Um, an international triathlon event up there every year. So I said to myself, I'm going to go and do the aquathlon and I'm going to swim in that dam because I just wanted to test my mental resilience, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so because I knew there were no crocodiles guaranteed and I thought, yeah, let's see what I'm made of, you know. So because we were going to go and help at the triathlon anyway, a friend of ours said, I'm, I'm volunteering. Do you want to come up for some fun and we can do some training. So running friend. And I was busy training for the oceans, of course, <laughs> so, and comrades. So so we went up and then I said, I think I'm going to enter the aquathlon, which is the run, swim, run. So because um, I, I couldn't yet ride a bike. Did you have any oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did. Because, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I had awful PTSD after what happened. You can imagine. I mean, mm. so serious. Wow. Yeah, very bad. I mean, yeah, it's still, I still have flashbacks occasionally. And mm. I still, geez, give me a fright and see someone leap out their skin. Because that in, impact of, on the boat of the croc 
Mm. You know, one time Sarah had to break the car suddenly because of someone else's stupidity. And I was looking down. I promise you that threw me into reliving the whole thing. It was the jerk, mm. you know. Mm. So, so anyway, I, I did this. I did this aquathlon. I did open water swimming in a dam. <laughs> and I could feel weeds on my legs and oh, and my friend, my friend is also my physio, who's also an, uh, an athlete. She was one of the safety kayakers at the event because they do have people just checking people are okay. So she was like keeping an eye on me and she was really quite close and keeping a special eye on me. And I did it and I look, I, I felt very triumphant and it was awesome. But you know what? I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, <laughs> it was a bit tough. Yeah, um, probably. And, yeah. And, and, and I, I saw in one of the emails you wrote about the reaction from John's family wasn't as, I guess, as understanding as you'd as you'd hope. I mean, you were OK to talk about that? Or? I think I probably shouldn't talk about it okay. much. I think there were there were a couple of members of the family who didn't think I should be talking about it on Facebook. I put a Facebook friends only post up. Yeah. Um, and then a friend pasted it onto his page and then there was a mutual connection and then all, a bit of health broke loose and it was all very, very, very upsetting. Um, mm. And yeah, and I think so I'm very careful about social media yeah. and mm. I never mention names. And, you know, uh, I know he would want me to share the story. He helped me survive. He was part of that story and he was very brave. And he was very calm and, you know, he showed his preparedness to to go, I, I, which was incredible. I mean, amazing, you know, mm. um, and I'm very close to his wife. And, you know, there's we're still very close. And she never, ever, I mean, held me accountable or anything. No, nobody ever held mm. me accountable for what happened. It was a freak accident. But, mm. yeah, I mean, I, I often wonder what it must be like this for lots of people who survive tragic accidents where other people didn't survive. Yeah. I've often mm -hmm. thought I must not be the only one who's had a slight problem with this because their families have different ways of dealing. And there were some members of the family who apparently hadn't been told the details or even how he died. And mm. so uh, and they were scared that that he they would read it. But then I was thinking, why haven't they been told? Why would you not tell mm. somebody? Because mm. I can't see the point of that. So, yeah, it's very sad. Um, mm. And I, I'm sort of like very cagey about Facebook now because that's how that happened. So, yeah. And, and does it change your. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can you can you can never really predict how people react and. There's no right and wrong way. So, um, no, yeah. I mean, they, they just didn't think I should be telling that story in detail. So, mm. um, yeah. And, you know, they're entitled to think that. So, mm. so I, I sort of, yeah, I mean, I've got privacy settings and, you know, and all this stuff and I'm, I'm just mm. cautious about it. Yeah. So, and, and yeah. has it changed your, your relationship with, with, with running and with life in general? <sighs> you know, I, I've had I've had quite a dramatic life anyway. So mm. um, I sort of I've had a few close, close calls and mm. the, the brain tumor and the crocodile were the closest. Well, I had a very close call when I was a child as well. Um, so I've I've had to I, I've had to think about 
the fact I might be about to die a few times more than most people, mm. I think. Um, I, I was actually abducted when I was 11. I was pulled into a car and abducted and I fought for my life then as well. And I won that one, too. Um, and, it, you know, that uh, that's a horrible story, too. That's probably for another podcast. But I mean, mm. I at 11 years old with a man's hands around my throat and what have you thought I was about to die. And, uh, you know, and I could have. And I thought, mm. like, you cannot believe, and I was a tiny little thing. I mean, I'm still a tiny little thing. I'm a 46 kg, five foot one woman who fought a three meter crocodile, for God's sake, you know. But at 11, I fought off a pedophile. And you know what? I, I escaped. So, yeah. So, I mean, I do, I embrace life very, very fully, and I live it very fully, and I never like to waste a moment. And I am very adventurous still. Um, and I'm grateful for every bloody second, I tell you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I think something like that is bound to change you. Uh, that crocodile thing was the closest call anyone could possibly uh, describe. I mean, it was such seriously, there were so many variables there and it's just incredible. I'm still here. I and mean, every day I think that. I mean, so I, I just want to make the most of every second and I want to keep this body strong, you know, because <laughs> I want to live to be a hundred. <laughs> Why not? Hey, <laughs> yeah. Do you think life is almost taunting you by the fact that, you know, Mugabe dies and the new leader taking over is nicknamed the crocodile? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy and you know so many people have asked me but did they shoot the crocodile hmm. i mean i get asked that all the time and no they did not you know because how could they if they'd been shooting the crocodile <laughs> no, they they i, went back, shot I me. went back the next day and i got it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean they didn't shoot the crocodile they couldn't shoot the crocodile and there's no way of telling which crocodile it was once the crocodile mm. was gone i mean the dam is full of crocodiles you know so and it's not like i even hate crocodiles i mean they are just predators you know so i mean I'm, I, I don't like to encounter one when I'm not mm. expecting it. I made myself mm. walk past a crocodile farm within eight months of that happening because one of my running routes, one of my normal old running routes takes me past a crocodile farm. And I just thought, no, I'm going to go do this. So I made myself and I like stood by the fence. There's double fence. There's no way those crocs could get me. And I just stood there, you know, looking them in the I'm eye like gun. I did. Because, you know, I spoke to that crocodile. I, I forgot to tell you that I actually spoke to the crocodile during that whole thing. Mm. I actually talked to it. I kept I looked it in the eye and I kept saying, don't eat me. Please let me live over and over in a rhythm with with the pulling and the kicking. It's like like a mantra. It's like I spoke to it. So anyway, so I kind of looked at them and I they it that was OK. I didn't get flashbacks because it was a very controlled situation, you know. But when I see them, we've been to game parks with crocodiles in since the Kruger in South Africa, for example. And the first time we went after it happened, we were looking from a bridge into a river and there were the crocs. And I that really freaked us both out, actually, because I mean, Sarah had 
post-traumatic stress as well from all of this. I mean, you can imagine what it was like for her as well. Horrendous. And also to see me in that condition for all those months as well. And, you know, just broken body. <laughs> so, yeah. and, you know, terrible. So, um, but now it's a bit better now. Um, I'm sort of, yeah, we've been back to the cougar again and we've seen crocodiles again and, I make myself look at them, you know, <laughs> so I, I I stare hard, you know, and but I don't hate people, them. The people, people kayak in, in the dam still. Um, yes, actually, people do the most amazingly stupid things like there are certain dams near Harare where people are swimming in the dam and they say, oh, no, there's no crocs here. <laughs> hmm. I mean, there's a dam where people go and do water sport and stuff. and. They they do tubing, they do water skiing, they do swimming, mm. their kids are swimming, and they're always, for some reason, people say, oh, no, there aren't any crocodiles in that dam. And I just think to myself, are you out of your mind, you know? Because we know people who farm on the side, the other side of that dam from where people do that, and they just say, those people are insane. There are mm. hundreds of crocodiles in this dam. There are hundreds of crocodiles in any dam of this size, you know? And they're swimming. Um, that strikes me as insane. Um, they're still doing canoeing safaris in Zimbabwe. Although, obviously, look, COVID, tourism's taken a dive. The economy, you know, the economy here is very broken anyway. So, but they are. I mean, the the girl who lost her arm was on a on a canoeing safari, and they they carried right on. And the, the boat she was in was even smaller than the one I was in. And they still use those boats. So I go figure. I don't know. I mean, friends of mine have been swimming in the in Kariba, you know, Lake Kariba, since what happened to me. I mean, I think, do you learn nothing from what happens to other people? I mean, Kariba is full of crocodiles. And people used to say, oh, no, it's fine. You can just dive off the boat and swim in the middle. They don't attack people in the middle. Well, I know better. And anyone who knows me knows better, or they should. But I still know people who swim in the middle of Kariba. So, yeah, I don't think people think, oh, it won't happen to me, you know. So, well, it might, you know, it might. Because, <laughs> it's, yes, it's freak, but it can happen. I now know this. We've had a, we've had a few questions, and we I think you pretty much answered most of them you know, about going back in the water. But there was one that um, Maria Ellis uh, asked um, about what things helped you in your recovery. Were there any particular things that kind of got, got you through that? Do you know what? As part of what got me through that was I got a spot in Leadville and I heard about it when I was literally like almost dead in the hospital after the attack because I'd gone into the lottery. And mm. I, I, I can't tell you how much it lifted my spirits because, I mean, I was so, so broken. But they, Sarah and our friend Rob came into the hospital room just beaming from ear to ear one morning. And I mean, and, and I'm lying there in terrible pain and just broken. And, you know, I said, what's got into you two? What's going on? And I sort of thought to myself, what date is it? And I just, I, I thought it's the Leadville lottery. So I said, did I get a spot in Leadville? <laughs> so, and I did, you see. So, so having that race, because of course they let me defer the entry by a year. Obviously, I mean it was a good story. And it's they, not they... UTMB. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they really liked my story and they told my story. You know, um, so yeah, exactly. So um, having that as a goal, 
um, even though I ended up missing a cutoff because I tripped and fell in the altitude and all that, and it, I was very devastated. But even so, I what kept me going in my recovery, well, first of all, it was just I wanted to run again because I just love running. And so I was very motivated to get these legs stronger and stronger and not let them get weak and all of that. So that motivated me. And then, I mean, look, you need strong arms for trail running too, really, don't you? So so I think really a lot of it was about my running. It was like having Leadville on the horizon and knowing when it was and mm. knowing that I needed to get back into my training and knowing that I needed to get everything strong again. And, yeah, I think. And actually, in some ways, I, I know you mentioned at the top of the show you were devastated to, to not finish that, but it sounds almost as if Led, Leadville gave you everything you needed before you even started. I think it probably did. I think you're right. And and you know what? You know how many people don't finish that race. So, you know, I can't mm. I can't be too hard on myself. It's 55 percent of the field, you know. So, But I mean, it was like to me, it was like this big kind of symbol of everything that had happened. And it was like my you know, I mm. even thought about it on the dam. And it was one of those iconic races that I just mm. got inspired by, you know. So so, I mean, look tough tacky as we say here tackies are what we call running shoes here tough tacky is just well too bad <laughs> tough tacky i'll try again i'll just have to try again you know so <laughs> i mean i'm I'm doing well i'm trying the 100 mile distance again in september so um if it happens i mean you never know if a race is going to happen because of covid yeah, but yeah yeah you know. so i think it was yeah i think that the running the having that goal a running goal mm helped me through the rehab along with you know I just I love being fit and healthy anyway I always did and I just wanted to get fit and healthy and well as fast as I could and I wanted the arms to get as functional as they could be and I did rehab for a long time probably longer than I strictly speaking would have been told to but because I wanted them to get better and better and better to the point mm. where there was nothing more we could do except just go live life now, you know. So, hmm. um, yeah, I was very motivated. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, your story is incredible, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and your determination and your, your will to live and will will to live. Uh, yeah, will to live, well, will to survive and will to live life um, is is just really inspiring. And uh, if is there if people want to get in touch or want to hear to hear more or kind of follow you in the future, is there a way for them to do that? They can they can send me a friend request on Facebook, definitely, because uh, you know I I will respond to those. I'll 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 know where they're from, or they can inbox me on Messenger as well, you know. Um, and I sort of like my Facebook page is not public for the reasons we were discussing, because yeah. I'm just yeah. don't want to have any more flack flying um, mm. uh, from members of that family but um I, so i'm careful uh and i my privacy settings are quite tight but it doesn't mean people can't send me an inbox message or a friend request you know so yeah well amazing well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and good luck with Thanks finishing leadville <laughs> oh yeah of course and uh yeah good good luck with finishing leadville with you if you get the chance again and uh, racking up as so. many comrades as you can Definitely going for my green number, you know, as one does. <laughs> yeah. And and I'll be back doing comrades at some point in my lifetime, I'm sure. So uh, oh, when I am, <laughs> I will uh, I'll give you a shout. We we'll have to go for uh, for a, a run together. That would be great. 
That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Rosie. Take care. Okay. Bye. Wow. Um, I was going to say what a story, but it's not one story. What what a, an array of stories. Yeah. Taunting, taunting death at every turn in many every different turn. ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, it's interesting, actually, isn't it, the way she said she she's never really had to have that. Well, because it, something happened to her so young, she's always had that view of life is precious and sees the day. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? About the survivor thing, the you know actually mm. being in being in that situation and you surviving it and someone else not, and then mm. you know it's like that touching the void. It's the, you know it's like that thing where mm. you know, he was kind of you know the, the 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 kind of the backlash against him and everything, and that that guilt that you feel as well on top of having to recover from horrific injuries. Yeah, and and it's a story that will be told whether you tell it. And as she says, you know, he was a hero. He was, uh, you know, incredible. And so she would want to tell, you know, to, to let people know about that. But then you can understand if you are a relative that, well, you 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 would be. It's a terribly tra- tragic event, and who knows how that would affect you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. really difficult. But it's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? The, um, it, I think it's just, it's so true. Like being in peak physical condition, how that helps you survive lots of situations where many other people would, would, you know, mm. not just from the mental perspective, but literally from the physical perspective. Um, because you know, my my father-in-law had a had a heart attack, and. They said that, you know, he literally climbed Mont Blanc like six months before. And they said mm. if he wasn't in the condition he was in, there's absolutely no way he'd have survived the heart attack that he had. Um, and it was purely down to his, like, his, his, his physical conditioning. Um, but it's just, it's like that kind of thing where you just think, wow, that is just, it just shows you, doesn't it? Like the, the benefits of, of running and cardio and, and everything else like that, you know, even in situations where you don't, you know, there are more things important than your 5k PB and actually living yeah. is one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, it, and it's so intangible. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's like, it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know when you need it. You don't, when you need it, but yeah. just, it's one of those things. Zimbabwe, it's like the whole idea of just running through some wildlife or even just having a, <laughs> having a bit of kayak in somewhere so dangerous. Like you say, Richmond park is probably, 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 <laughs> Yeah, there's probably other parks where the humans in them are probably slightly more dangerous than the than the. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but, yeah. Wembley yeah. Park, for example, yeah. two weeks ago. <laughs> right yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's I we're, just, I we're so far removed from an appreciation of all the different animals to get I a know. sense of. I, I, this was a question that I want to ask, which I don't know whether you should be able to answer. But I'd like to know, like in A and E in Harare or something like that, what percentage are 
human-caused uh, injuries. <laughs> and what percentage are animal-related? Well, because you know, you know, like in the UK, it's like ninety percent of people end up in A and E because of some household alcohol. and household. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, like that. But you know, yeah, but that's it. So, but there's always a large percentage isn't it, that basically are done like you know, you injure yourself literally within two meters of your house or something like that. Mm. Isn't it? Like, I'd like to know what percentage are like animals. That, that have caused it, you know, which would never happen in the UK. Like, how many people go and say, "Oh, do you know, a, a fox slapped me in the face and gave me a black eye or something," and you know, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with it. Like, like a hippo attack. Like, how, how differently do you need to be equipped to deal with animal, like large, large predators? Um, being yeah. one of the main reasons that you are, you know, having to deal with people in A and E. Because I, I just wonder whether you need a specialist. Like we have a, oh yeah, we've got a, like a, you know, predator specialist who deals with these kind of, the, yeah. Cause, because it's a completely different, it's a completely different injury, isn't it? Like the, to to most other injuries, like crushed bones and crushed bones bacteria. and slashes yeah. across you and claws and. Yeah, I wonder. So, if we've got any anyone listening in um, uh, any well, any country where basically wildlife plays a major factor in uh, um, uh, survival rates, um, I'd absolutely be del- you know, delighted to know what yeah. whether, whether you know that or not, and whether that's also part of the school cur- curriculum is discovering what you need to do in the same way we have our what do we even have wash your hands in fifteen seconds probably the closest thing we've had recently, but you don't really get many health and safety lessons in our schools, but whether you need them in Zimbabwe. But we have learned an important lesson, that poking a crocodile in the eyes doesn't do anything. So don't try <laughs> yeah. that. Don't try yeah. that. They don't even get crocodile tears. Nothing. I don't Nothing. Know, exactly. So if you do know how to deal with a crocodile, we know it's not that. Um, I think it's, isn't it sticking a finger up its bum? I think it's always. <laughs> isn't that your answer to everything? <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't even matter if you're under threat. Yeah, if I've seen <laughs> South Park correctly, then. <laughs> but um, do that was a, a suggestion from the lovely Tom Dark. So if you have any other guests that you'd like us to interview, then message me, David at com or Instagram or letters at, um, and we'll go out there and get them in the same way we have with Rosie. If you like this episode, then what a good other good ones similar to this. Um, we've chased had, by a bear. yeah, Rachel um, chased by a bear. That was, I mean, very different story, but also amazing, and um, not, I wouldn't say quite as horrific, but I'm sure she felt it was at the time. Um, yeah. Charlie Webster. Also, I would say Charlie Webster's an interesting mm. one because you know she didn't suffer any particular you know like horrific injuries in the sense that mm. but she was very much you know t- it was one of those where she was facing down death um, as a mm. result of um, malaria and you know nearly was it malaria it was malaria yeah it was and, yeah, yeah unexpected and, malaria and, yeah, yeah unexpected and nearly dying as a result and being you know with her mum and basically saying goodbye to her and uh, and everything like yeah. that and it's quite trapped it's quite in a coma. A, quite, yeah, absolutely. It's quite a quite a harrowing episode, um, but I think that kind of fits with this quite well about you know um, you know wanting to live and and that kind of life spirit that goes with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do review us. You can or review us anywhere. But the funnier, the better, <laughs> and we'll read them out. Yeah, if you didn't enjoy this episode, think of another episode you did like and review that one. 
Um, if you want to join the, if you want to join the discussion on Facebook, head over to uh, Facebook. Type in Babble Running Podcast. Answer three questions, and we'll let you in so you can join the conversation. And if you're watching us on YouTube, then uh, do the thing that we're meant to say on YouTube. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. comment, comment. Oh, just keep saying that. Like comment, sub- subscribe somewhere. Um, and leave in your comment what the thing is that you learnt most from this. We'll read all the comments out at, at some point in the future. Or which animal you'd like to be attacked by if it's not a crocodile. Least like to be attacked by. <laughs> How about that? How about that? <laughs> but thanks for listening, guys. And we will see you next week. See you later. Fuck you, buddy.